So we are week three debunking myths about Jesus. And um, uh, we have on a second part, if you will, of talking about this man's book called Dan Brown. He's an author. The book was called uh, The Da Vinci Code. And um, he wrote the book. I don't remember the year. I think it was 2003 or four. Movie came out about 2006. The movie that starred Tom Hanks in the movie, and it was done. I think shot in France and the Vatican and different places. And um, and the book was like a it was like a firestorm, and it went all over the world. Some of you might remember. Some of you might even have the you know the Da Vinci Code in your house. I'm not saying it's of the devil, but I can tell you the information's wrong. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up, because it is an older movie and an older book, because as I begin to study out about debunking myths about Jesus, um, I knew that I had to do some research, and I'd have to start getting on Google and, and look, listening to other uh, theologians and find out, getting information to put together something that we could all walk away with and feel like we have some, some knowledge. Well, as I, and I'm talking about knowledge that we can actually defend the faith with, our faith. And when I started looking into this, this time of year, with Jesus being celebrated all over the world in just a couple of weeks, um, uh, I found that there's a lot of people that come out of the woodwork and really curse Jesus and really talk about things that they feel they have, um, I guess, mystical or esoteric writings about Christ uh, that they feel is substantial, that takes Jesus out of the running of being the Son of God. Basically takes his deity away from him. And even some, we talked about the first week, even some believe that he didn't exist at all, that he's just a mythical character and all that. So I started going into all this, and then I found out that it doesn't originate from Dan Brown's book, but in America and across the world, uh, atheism and um, just the challenge the challenge toward Christianity came very, very, very strong. The attacks came very strong uh, during this time that the book was written. When it came out, it gave a lot of people uh, fodder to go to war with against Christians. So some of you probably, some of you weren't even saved during that time. So I thought it would be good to break down that book, uh, not so much the movie, but the book, and talk about how we could disprove it and pretty easily disprove uh, the book itself, because again, uh, people, they generate their bias and they become, uh, their assumptions become very strong to them about Jesus based on these writings, and it becomes to them a foundation, but the foundation is very, very shaky, very faulty, and very, very deceptive. Um, let's look again what the Word says, the Word of God says about false teaching, and how it is to be dealt with. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly uh, says that in latter times, that's the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So Paul tells his son in the, in the, in the faith, you got to be careful because there's a lot of demons out there that will sound like uh, the truth, and they will feel like there's light behind what they say, but really there's darkness. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 35, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, this is what Paul's telling Timothy, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and 
to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, uh, uh, use, useless wranglings of men of corrupt uh, minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. So I, and that's good for us to know too on our side, okay? We may feel like we have the truth and we do, but we're not to go out there starting fights with what we have, right? We just preach the truth in love. Somebody say amen. If people want to fight us, we don't fight them, but we need to at least know where we stand. But then there's other people that truly have questions. And they're not trying to fight you, but they want, really want to have their questions answered. That's the whole idea of being able to give you some of these answers tonight. Also, Ephesians 4, I thought this was pertinent to bring up, verse 11. And he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's very important to God that God uses people like myself and others, of course, uh, and you uh, to be able to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We need to get equipped for the edifying of the body of body Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what I want to get to, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That tells me there's a lot of doctrine that blows in and blows out. And a lot of Christians will get deceived by that because they're not founded. They don't have a sure foundation in the word of God. They just don't know what the truth really is. And they adopt certain behaviors of the world and they kind of don't know it. And so they got the world. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Israel and how God said, I'm your God. That's it. I, no other gods before me, right? That's one of the penalties here, the one of the Ten Commandments. And, um, but a generation would go by. They would serve God. Then a generation would go by, and they wouldn't teach their children properly. And what was interesting was they would say, there's only one God, and we know he's Je Jehovah. But we also know there's other expressions out there, and they would bring little gods into their house, about little statues. Or they'd build or repair the, uh, the high places, the Bible says. So they worship Jehovah, but they also worship Baal and other gods as well because they didn't want to leave anybody out, right? So I see that in today, 2018, come full circle, where it's a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of other things too. That is called deception. You're like a child being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. It is a lot, there is a lot of deception out there if we're not care careful. All right, so let's do a quick review of last week. And I'll get into some new stuff tonight, but I gave you three lies from Dan Brown's book about Jesus that we debunked. Number one, we, the question was, is Jesus God? And I gave you a ton of information. You can go online and get all that from our, from our podcast. Uh, it's myfaithbills.com. You can go there and get it. Um, and, but let's just recap for a little bit here. Um, so we said, is Jesus God? Well, number one, Jesus himself claimed that he had the authority to forgive sin. Mark chapter 2, 5. I'm not going to read the scriptures right now, but just so you have them, Jesus himself said he was God. Number two, Jesus, uh, his accusers, believed he was claiming to be God as well. Uh, the Bible says that, uh, that the, they wanted to kill him because these uh, Pharisees, they, they wanted to kill him because he claimed to be God. Uh, number three, Jesus claimed that knowing the Son was the same as knowing the Father. You've heard those scriptures before. I'm sure you have. Number four, Jesus claimed for himself one of God's highest names. He said, I am. That's what he said. Most assuredly, I say to you in John 8, 58, he said, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
What's one of God's names? I am. Uh, number five, Jesus did not stop people who worshipped him. When they fell down and they began to worship him, he allowed that. Number six, Jesus claimed he was alive before the world began. You find that in John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He claimed to be with God. Number seven, Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas when he called Jesus God. Uh, he said, my Lord and my God. Remember that statement? And he didn't rebuke him. Number eight, Jesus claimed eternal existence with God. Again, he said, I am and always have been with him before Abraham was. Number nine, Jesus claimed to be one of the uh, one with the Father. Uh, in John 10, 25, he said, I and the Father are one. See, this was heresy back in those days. This, would have been, this got you killed back in those days. But they couldn't get him. He'd actually walk through the midst of them because God's favor was upon him. Uh, number 10, and lastly, uh, that we know that Je the reason why we know Jesus is God, because at his trial, under oath, who, Jesus, who cannot lie, affirmed that he was the Christ, and his claim actually condemned him to death, because we know the story. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, we couldn't be saved. So he couldn't even, look, if he wasn't who he said he was, he might say, you know what, I might want to just live to fight another day. Come on, because right now they mean business. They're going to kill me today. And he would have gotten out of it, but he did not. Can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Um, so, so we see that. Uh, we see that. And then number two, we talked about the Gnostic Gospels. The Gnostic Gospels. We said, are they real? What are the Gnostic Gospels? There are four additional uh, Gospels that were found later after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four additional works that some people would like to try to put into the canonical version of the Word of God, which is where we get our four Gospels today. And the truth is, and this is what he claimed, he claimed the Gnostic Gospels are the truth. Um, uh, but the truth is, for, for writings to be accepted in the Bible, we went over this last week, they had to meet a certain strict criteria, remember? And they couldn't just be, oh, this sounds like it matches Matthew, therefore we'll put it in the Bible. It was a very... A strenuous uh, criteria that they had that had to be met to know that it was inspired by God. So we said there are four things. Number one, it, it first of all, it had to be ancient. It could be a new work. It had to be something that was older. The book had to be written near the time of Jesus and his original follower, followers. Number two, we said it had to be apostolic. In other words, the book had to be written by an apostle or a companion of an apostle just like our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three, it had to be orthodox. Uh, the book had to be consistent with the teachings already accepted as having come from Jesus and from his original followers. It couldn't be five, six people deep. Uh, four, it had to be accepted. That's the last criteria. It had to be accepted. The book had to be widely recognized and accepted by a large portion of Orthodox Christian church and those who were in authority to do so. So the so-called Gnostic Gospels are heretical. They're not truth, as Dan Brown has said, uh, specifically because they, they were secret documents that were written in contrast to the apostolic writings that were widely circulated and they were, they were verified over and over again. Nothing was done in secret. Everything was done in the light. Um, the third thing we answered last week was Jesus married. Was he in fact married? Uh, Dan Brown builds an entire story on, on a, a rejected heretical Gnostic gospel that was written at least 100 years after the canonical four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and none of them, not one, even those things mention uh, references to Jesus being married. So we, we debunked that. Now tonight, I'm going to continue debunking the claims that Dan Brown wrote in his book. I'm hoping this is going to bless you. 
uh, as it did me as I studied it out, about how he claimed Jesus actually was. Uh, and then we're going to take, we're going to take it a few uh, steps further. I said we're going to have a few more things to talk about, but it's going to be a little bit more than that tonight. So number one, he claims, Dan Brown claims, the Bible was invented by the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 4th century. Constantine, some of you heard me talk about before, as he was one of the people that actually um, uh, forbade uh, the Passover and the other feasts that we talk about, that the Word of God talks about. He wanted it to be a worldwide religion, Catholicism to be worldwide, um, and so he felt like, um, let's adopt other times into place. For instance, Jesus was not born, uh, this, is pretty, this is known, it's a fact, he was not born on December 25th. Now, we celebrated on December 25th, and I don't have a problem with that. Um, we don't know exactly the date he was, he was uh, born, but we do know uh, for a fact that he had to be born around one of the feast times of the year, right? We know that. So it usually we're thinking September, October, during the Feast of Tabernacles and Feast of Trumpets. I don't want to lose you, but I'm just saying that Constantine said, hey, I want to do away with all that. Let's make it real simple. We have Easter, we have Christmas, and we'll celebrate Christ in those times, which were also pagan times as well. I don't think that we need to worry about it's a pagan time, therefore we should not celebrate those things. I don't see that as a worry in Scripture at all, but I just want to give us the history behind it. That was 325 years after uh, Jesus had, had died, resurrected, and ascended before the Father. So the Da Vinci Code reports that Constantine commissioned and financed a new Bible, that's what he, that, that's what he said, one that left out the Gnostic texts and included the four traditional Gospels. In fact, Constantine had nothing to do with the making of the Christian canon at all. He is not even mentioned in the standard history of the Bible at all. It's just an untruth. It's just something he cherry-picked and decided, I'm going to make this seem like it goes together. The traditional Gospels were recognized by virtually all Christians 150 years before Constantine came on the scene. Number two... Uh, we're going to debunk that Brown mentions the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Gnostic Gospels are the earliest, quote unquote, the earliest Christian records that's, uh, that, that he, he sees on record. Now, that's not so. Uh, this is easily debunked because the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947. So that's way after Jesus and the Bible was written in the early first century, okay? Um, and then, of course, um, those Dead Sea Scrolls were dated around 250 B.C. to about A.D. 100. I'm not trying to lose you in all that, but I just want you to see the facts. These documents have virtually nothing to do with Christianity, the Dead Sea Scrolls, but with various uh, Jewish groups, rituals that were done during those times, and ideas before and during the time of Christ. So there's some record there, but they're certainly not inspired by God. They're rejected by all theologians. Uh, the Gnostic Gospels offered a twisted and heretical version of the Christian faith. Okay, I'm going to get into this. You're going to like this. But they didn't come into existence until about a century or more after the death of Jesus. Okay? The earliest Christian records are, in fact, the writings of the New Testament. That's a, that is a, a bona fide fact by all historians. Um, the third thing that Brown talks about is that the Gnostic Gospels present a positive view of the feminine, all right? The Gnostic Gospel texts are said to picture a human, sexualized Jesus who embraced the sacred feminine, 
okay? That means he was a feminist, basically, and, 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 and he was all things, look, the man and, and woman are equal, okay? And that he was also sexualized. Which is, I, I, I know it sounds sacrilegious to say, I'm just telling you, this is what Brown says. Actually, uh, the Jesus presented in the Gnostic material <laughs> is even more weird than that. I'm just going to be honest with you. So what he says he's getting it from is not even there to begin with, so it's already two times weird, all right? And the underlying ideology tends to be radically, uh, radically different in the Gnostic gospel as being anti-feminine completely. I didn't know this, guys. I studied this to find this out. Check out this bizarre passage from the Gospel of Thomas, which is one of those Gnostic uh, Gospels. Um, Simon Peter said to them, Make Mary leave us, for females don't deserve a life. Jesus said, Look, I will guide her to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Huh? Come on, somebody. I don't think it should be called the Da Vinci Code. I, I think it should be called the Da Vinci Code. Come on, somebody. That's about as stupid as I've ever heard in my entire life. That's, that's just ridiculous. And yet, they, he claims that, that is, in fact, what the Bible teaches out of these Gnostic Gospels. No, God is all about the fact that women are in leadership all over the world, always has been in Scripture. You, can't, you cannot cherry-pick certain Scriptures and say, because, by the way, guys, listen to me. People that cherry-pick scriptures don't know the whole truth. They take this and they take that. But I'll tell you, when you sit, and if you sit with me, easily dispelled when you understand how it looks historically from A to Z. So we have, we have leader, women leaders in the New Testament. They are in the New Testament. We can prove this. And they're in the Old Testament which is by far the greater rule bearer than the New Testament because it's a much harder covenant to live under. And we see that we see women in leadership. In particular, we have Deborah. Deborah was actually a general, was a general in Israel. Why? She was tough, y'all. She was tough. And she had a relationship with God. So we see that you can't cherry pick what she's done because it can move into an almost cultish behavior. This, in fact, does. Uh, number four is this. Early Christians, what he, this is what he attests to. Early Christians did not believe Jesus was God's son. All right? This is a bizarre claim. Rooted in either willful ignorance or just flat out blindness uh, to the truth. Either way, it's just completely an error. After 2,000 years, people continue to debate whether Jesus is the son of God. No doubt about that. 2,000 years later, they're still debating that. But... What has never been subject to doubt is that early Christians confess that Jesus is, in fact, God's only son. Look what it says in Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. What does it say? The son of the living God. And Jesus says what? I will build my church upon that truth right there. Right? Galatians chapter 4, 4. This is Paul preaching to, or actually writing to the church at Galatea. He says, but when the fullness of time has come, had come, God sent forth his son. I'm just picking two verses. It's all over the, the entire New Testament. Number five. Oh, and by the way, Jesus had to be the son of God, but we know that for a fact. But also in the Old Testament, you got Nebuchadnezzar throwing the three Hebrew boys into the fiery furnace and they see one and he says, he's likened to the son of God. Okay, number five, Jesus was really, uh, this is what he, he claims, Jesus was really a pagan or a witch. 
no standard reference work that we, that we have on record on witchcraft ever includes Jesus as a witch or a pagan. Even they stay away from that claim. The novel attempts, his novel attempts to argue that Jesus was a copycat figure of the ancient pagan cities and deities, another, deities rather. So in other words, he learned the black arts to do all this healing, to walk on water and all those other things. This is craziness. This is what Dan Brown puts out there and goes all over the world. Okay? The view depends on totally ignoring the Jewish context of the life and teaching of Jesus. If Jesus had been a pagan or a witch, this would have been noted by the Jewish leaders and all the historians, not talking about the Bible writers, talking about the historians would have said so. He would have easily killed, not had to go before Pilate, but on their own accord because they could have said, you are a witch or you are some sort of pagan deity come back from life and um, we got to kill you. And they, they had those traditions. So they, that, nothing's ever been recorded on that. So that has to be wrong. That's debunked. Seven, there was a smear campaign, he says, against Mary Magdalene in the Catholic tradition. To the contrary, Mary Magdalene receives a positive uh, remarks in the Bible and also in Catholic tradition. In fact, she's regarded as a saint. And her feast day by, by the Catholics is July 22nd. As a close, she's regarded as a saint, as a close disciple of Jesus, and she was one of the very first witnesses of his resurrection. I mean, she's special to God and special to the people of God. The mistaken view that she was a prostitute did not arise until AD 591 when Pope Gregory I confused her with a prostitute mentioned in, uh, in Luke chapter number seven. So people tend to get those things a little bit wrong. Number eight, a secret society, he said, named, name uh, is called the Priory of Sion, started in 1099 and has protected the bones of Mary Magdalene and the documents about the bloodline of Jesus Christ. This is one of the most significant blunders of the Da Vinci Code itself because the Prior of Sion was actually started in France in May, on May 7th, 1956. That's 1,956 years later. This guy is a joke because I don't believe he's trying to, write, to, to produce a cult. I think he's trying to produce a really cool book that's going to get people's attention, but there's no facts in it, but people believe it to be fact. He, this was, by the way, the Prior of Sion, this secret society, was invented by a carn artist by the name of Pierre Plantard. All right? Uh, the, pri the prior was first a civic organization. In the 1960s, Plantard um, created the mythology of a secret society led by figures such as Isaac Newton and also, here it is, Leonardo da Vinci. He's the one that came up with all these concepts to give it to other men to say these people had ways of understanding the spirit world that we don't have today. By the way, that's how most cults get started. It's a secret. It's, uh, it's special. It's elitism. It's us against the world. Come on. That's how it gets started. Number nine, ancient documents about the priory. Uh, this, we talk about the prior sign, were discovered in Paris of 1975. That's what he says. Well, the Da Vinci Code refers to the, these alleged parchments, um, and these documents are not ancient, but are actually forgeries done by, uh, his name is Felipe de Cherese. It's close I get to it. And a co he's a co-conspirator with Plantard. They decided to write it together. They, listen, they were not discovered by the French Library in 1975, but were placed there by Plantard in 1967. Both of these men admitted to the hoax. 
And the matter of fact, before they died, they admitted and even had to stand before a judge in France and had to say they lied about the whole thing. Number 10, there are historical lists of the grand masters of the Priory of Sion. Actually, when Planter invented the Priory of Sion, he copied most of his list of the grand masters from lists of alleged leaders of other groups, such as ancient and mystical orders, one that's called um, Rosé Crocesis, uh, a secret society that was founded in America in 1915. Planter, the guy that came up with this concept, also changed his list of grand masteries as he adopted different conspiracy theories about his own prior of science. So you see that these guys are really creative and they take other works, other authors' works, and they begin to meld them together with their own creativity and come up with something fresh and new. Most people would read them and discard them, but there are other people that read them as fact and then take it as scientific truth, and now this now becomes something that can be founded upon spiritually. Joseph Smith, guys, um, he's the one that created Mormonism. Ever heard of Mormons? Yeah, they're good. Anybody ever heard of Mormon? Praise God. Anybody got knocked on the door by a Mormon? Jehovah's Witness? Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, two different things. But Mormon was started by Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith said that, he came, that an angel appeared to him and told him to write down these sacred truths and blah, 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 blah. Right? True. That's true. Guess what? Joseph Smith was an author before he ever became a spiritual guru and he was a fictional author trying to make it in the biz. This was in the mid-1800s and he had much of his stuff that was actually uh, published in newspapers and stories and he was doing pretty good but he kind of stalled out a little bit. Next thing you know, he comes up with this whole concept which many believe he started as fictional but people started following him Money started flowing into it, and he kept going with the story and kept going with the story. Now, they'll never tell you that, but that is historical fact. Ron L. Hubbard, anybody seen him late night television, Dianetics? Anybody? Boy, you, in the 80s, you saw it all the time, the 90s, Dianetics and, and, um, and all that stuff. And you got, who's that big actor that's in it, jumps on couches? What's his name? Uh, Tom Cruise, hallelujah. He's in, he's in that, and a lot of stars are in that, that thing. It has plummeted so bad. It was at one time over 100,000 members, and now it's down, down to 20 because, you know why? Because they're getting exposed. Why? Because Ron L. Hubbard, he created Scientology, said he had this incredible truth that was given to him from aliens. From aliens. Guess who Ron L. Hubbard was? A fictional author. By the way, look it up. Look up his name. He has written more fictional novels than any man on earth. So people follow this stuff. Not me, praise God. Not me. The Holy Grail, number 11. Brown asserts the Holy Grail is not the cup. Oh my, where's the time gone? Where has the time gone? The Holy Grail is not the cup used at the Last Supper, but instead the, uh, the bones of Mary Magdalene are really the Holy Grail. Uh, Grail. I don't think I even need, I don't need, you know what that ain't true. Number 12. <laughs> number 12, you don't need to know that one either. Praise God. You already got that one down. How about number 13? Leonardo da Vinci placed Mary Magdalene next to Jesus in his, in the, in his famous painting, The Last Supper. How many's ever heard that? Because uh, John, the, the beloved, was the one that was near Jesus, and in The Last Supper, you could see him leaning on, on the, the uh, chest of Jesus. 
And they say, well, it's very fem- he's very feminine. Well, that could be true. I don't know. Nobody really knows what was in the mind of Leonardo da Vinci. But all we can tell you is it doesn't matter if it was female or male. If you try to make it Mary Magdalene or whatever, it still has no bearing whatsoever. That's his own imagination. It has no bearing on the truth of God's word whatsoever. Because we don't believe that Leonardo da Vinci was a prophet that had special information from God. Number 14, the Catholic Church killed 5 million women during the Witchcraft Inquisition. I will tell you this, there were too many people killed during that Inquisition, and probably a lot of, probably the majority were innocent people, and I don't make light of that. But it's just not true. The facts don't line up. It doesn't, it doesn't specify that. Matter of fact, male and female, they said about the same amount of uh, uh, people were killed uh, during that time. That's just another lie that he told. Uh, 15, Early Jewish as well as Christian traditions um, involved sex ritualism in worship, he claims. Um, this is, there's, there's not a single hint in the entire Old Testament or in Jewish tradition or in Jewish history that sex rites were part of the temple worship. We find it during pagan ceremonies, but we do not find it in Jewish and or Christian ceremonies ever, not once. Jewish males did not engage in sex with priestesses in the temple, as Brown claims. Um, The word priestess uh, is not even used in the Old Testament whatsoever. In the novel uh, that Brown wrote, Jesus and Mary Magdalene are pictured as the ideal participants in an early Christian sex ritual. This is disgusting. This is terrible. We should pray for this guy. He don't enter hell quickly. This wild claim has no basis in history whatsoever, um, either in the term of the terms of the early church tradition or even in reference to the Gnostic do- documents. Even the Gnostic documents say nothing about that, completely made up in the depraved uh, creativity or the mind of uh, Dan Brown. So I feel like um, we've, done, we've covered a lot of ground in the last two, two weeks on this, and that will help you a lot. You can go back over it, hear it again. And next week, guys, we're going to talk about the proof of the resurrection, the myth that's surrounded about Jesus, that he actually did not die, but he survived and lived in a different city. Now, that's crazy, but people actually believe that. We're going to prove that the resurrection not only did happen, but had to happen as well. Someone say amen.